Good evening. Tonight we'll have two scripture readings. The first is from Ezekiel 36, verses 24 through 26. I will take you from the nations and gather you from all the countries and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleannesses and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. The second scripture reading is from Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 30. And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams and your young men shall see visions. Even on the male and female servants in those days, I will pour out my spirit, and I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. This is the word of the Lord. Well, eight weeks ago, we began by reading the words from the prophet Micah, which summarized biblical religion at least from the Old Testament's perspective. O man, what is good and what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love kindness, and to walk humbly with your God? And so we we decided to take the winner to talk about what do the prophets teach us about doing justice? And uh, we've seen that God intended Israel to be a kind of an advertisement of God's glory, that Israel was in itself a sacrament, a sign, a symbol, that people would look at Israel and say, my goodness, they're living a different way. Their God must be worthy of worship. And one of the main ways that they were supposed to reflect God's glory and character was by how they cared for the poor. They were to do justice. They were to care for the marginalized, the oppressed, the victims, and build a just community. Thousand years later, Israel had forgotten all of this, which is laid out in verse after verse after verse of the book of Deuteronomy, the book of Exodus, the book of Leviticus, the book of Numbers. And so God raises up prophets to call Israel back to her vision, to what God had intended Israel to be, a just community, among other things. Now, one of the things that you've probably noticed as we've gone along, and and this is kind of one of the great mysteries of the old covenant one of the, one of the great puzzling things as you try to understand what god was doing in the old covenant even as the prophets were saying do justice do justice do justice repent do justice they were acknowledging that they couldn't they acknowledged that the people of israel did not have the spiritual resources to fully keep the covenant And so there's this other wide swath of prophetic material that talks about this glorious day when God's kingdom is going to come, his just community is going to reign on earth, a Messiah is going to come and bring it in, and that day will be marked by a unique outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Just a couple verses here uh, about this hopeful season that the prophets look forward to. Isaiah 2, it shall come to pass in the latter days that many people shall come and say, come, let's go to the mountain of the Lord, 
go to the house of God, that he may teach us his ways, that we can walk in his paths. He'll judge between the nations. He'll decide disputes for many peoples. Then they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. Isaiah 9, for, us to, uh, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there'll be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness. Isaiah 31, when the Spirit is poured out on high, then justice will dwell. Isaiah 54, Sing, O barren one who did not bear. Fear not, for you won't be ashamed. Don't be confounded. You will not be disgraced. Your maker is your husband. And we could go on and on and on. The prophets are not all negative. The prophets do critique sins in the community, but they also cast this glorious vision of what God wants to do one day when his Messiah comes to bring in the kingdom. Now, one of the things that is to mark this new day is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And remember, in the Old Covenant, you, the Holy Spirit would come and rest upon a king or a prophet and maybe a judge and just for a little while. And so there was no daily intimate experience with the Holy Spirit. So keep that in mind when you think about a couple of these scriptures. God says of the Messiah, Isaiah 42... I've put my spirit on him and he'll bring forth justice to the nations. And then he promises a weary Israel. I will pour my spirit on your offspring. And then he refers to a new covenant with his children. And this will be my covenant, says the Lord. My spirit will be upon you. So amidst all the challenging prophetic critique of all the ways Israel is failing, there is these glorious texts that prophesy of a day when God's reign will come, when the Holy Spirit will be outpoured in great power, and the just community will be established on earth. And that hope kept Israel alive all the dark years as they waited for the coming of the Messiah. Now, how will the Spirit do this? Well, the prophets saw two streams of the Spirit flowing through the people of God, flowing through the church. The first stream uh, we'll call the purity stream. And if we could go ahead and have that text again, this is one of the great prophecies of the new covenant. And I I want you to notice what God is promising to do for his people in this prophecy. He says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. And so the first thing that's going to happen, you remember in the old covenant, cleansing with external, you would go and wash yourself ritually as you approached worship. Now he's saying the washing is going to happen inside of you. There's going to be an inner transformation. Then he says, I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I'll put within you. He is going to actually take the spirit of God that dwelt in the tabernacle and he's going to put it into the hearts of the people of God. And I'll remove the heart of stone. He's going to take out the the hard, stubborn, rebellious heart, put in a heart of flesh, a heart that's responsive and sensitive to the spirit. And what will be the result? I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. So he is going to, to give the people of God the capacity to obey and love God. 
from within. And so you see this, we call it the purity stream, because the Holy Spirit is going to help the people of God be pure, be holy, uh, be conformed to God's image in a way that they never could before. And of course, that's what happens in the new covenant. What does Jesus say? Nicodemus is one of the last saints of the old covenant, a very godly man who comes with all his faithfulness and all his ritual and all his tradition. And Jesus says, you need to be born again by the Spirit. And then he writes the Romans. He says in Romans 8, if a person does not have the Holy Spirit, he's not a child of God. And then he writes his protege, Titus, and he says, Titus, remember, you've been washed and regenerated by the Holy Spirit. We could go on and on all night. This is the purity stream of the Spirit that the prophets looked forward to, that one day every believer would receive the Spirit of the living God and that that Spirit would begin the process of conforming them into the image of God. Now, all winter we've been talking about doing justice today. What does this purity stream have to do with us as we try to do justice in the world? Well, we need to remember that God is not just interested in bringing justice or order into a broken world. He is equally interested in bringing order and justice into a broken heart, our hearts. He's as concerned about what happens inside of us as what we work for in the world. And let's think about this for a minute. And I asked David if I could uh, uh, use this story, David Leach, um, from something that happened to him this week. If you have come to the point in your spiritual life where being a Christian, your vision for being a Christian has broadened beyond having a good self-esteem in Christ, and you actually start to care about the world, your heart will break. And if you actually start to build relationship with people who are suffering, your heart will break. And if you actually become engaged with your money and your time and your prayers in bringing God's peace and healing into the broken places of your neighbors and your friends, your heart will start to break. And if you're not careful, your heart will grow dark. And you will become an angry, bitter, mean person who hates everyone who disagrees with you. And you will do it in the name of the gospel. Jesus said, pity the man who forfeits his, gains the world and forfeits his soul. We might say, pity the the person who wins a social justice cause and becomes a lousy human being. This is hard if you get involved in this. David Leach, be praying for him. I did ask him for permission for this. David has a unique compassion for high school students that are struggling. We all have a different gift, a different calling, and David is uniquely gifted at teaching young, struggling high schoolers at Bearden Math. And uh, the way he talks, he talks about them like his own children. He weeps for them like his own 
children. He's patient with them like his own children. And uh, this week he noticed a little guy was just in a bad mood all week. And David didn't just teach math. David walks with these guys. And so he says, are you okay? Are you okay? Do you want to get something to eat? Do you want to spend some time together? Are you okay? The little guy blew him off. And Thursday night he killed himself. So be praying for our brother David as he walks into the classroom tomorrow and uh, talks to these 15-year-olds about death. Some well-meaning folks said, you know, we'll go in over the weekend and we'll rearrange all the chairs so his empty chair won't be there. David said, not on your life. The presence of his absence is going to be a part of this curriculum. If you care for people, it'll tear you up. It'll break your heart. You need God's Spirit to be at work in your heart. David prayed tonight. The only way he's going to know what to do at 8.30 tomorrow when he walks into that class and looks at that empty chair and all these 15-year-olds staring up at him, the only thing he's going to know what to do is to trust the Spirit. There's no rules for that. It's tough doing justice. You know, one of the things you might do this Lent Especially if, if, like many of us, you've kind of you're engaged, you care, you're you're thinking about this, you're worried, you have points of view, you're reading, you're arguing, you're debating, you're seeing people take different positions, you're afraid, and and if you've been in that place now for this past year, you might just step back and just for a minute, just for a minute, maybe let it go a little bit and ask yourself. Am I more loving than I was a year ago? Am I more hopeful or am I more cynical? Am I more gentle or am I more caustic? What's the impact of my life on the people around me this year? Do I... Encourage people to hope and joy and vision? Or am I that person where people are starting to kind of avoid me because it's going to be a big negativity? (laughs) Lent's a good time to just kind of step back and take a look at our hearts. So one of the things you might do this Lent is just ask, what are some of the things that hinder the Spirit's work in my soul? And what are some of the things that support the Spirit's work in my soul? That's what fasting is. It's just removing the things that hinder the work of the Spirit in your soul and replacing them with things that especially nourish your spirit. The classic practices of prayer, scripture, fellowship, repentance, serving the poor, taking a walk. You know, it might be as simple, and I actually have heard this a lot from folks, and I'm just picking one out of the clouds, but 
I've just had a number of people say, I think I'm drinking more than I was last year. Um, I think I'm drinking a little bit too much. Or I just feel like I'm always online. Well, whatever it is, well, that's a good time to just kind of unplug from it and fill that space with something good. And by the way, the way you can tell if you really have a problem <laughs> is to try to give it up, right? Oh, I'm not drinking too much. <laughs> well, uh, how about no beers during Lent? <laughs> you might have a problem. So it's just a, good little, it's just a good little test. I remember one brother said that during Lent he would go from three beers a night to one. And I thought, well... <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> we'll start wherever you got to start, right? Um, the second stream that the prophets talk about is uh, power. And so if we could go to that, that next text, uh, Joel, or God through Joel, looks into the future and he says, it'll come to pass afterward, and I'm going to pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. Even on male and female servants in those days, I'll pour out my spirit. Remember, here's there's the democratization of the Holy Spirit. It used to just fall on a couple of people briefly. Now everybody is going to have the opportunity to experience the Spirit's power. Now let's fast forward to see what happens. Uh, the disciples meet with Jesus the day after the resurrection. They believe in him. He comes to them. This is John chapter 20. And after they believe, he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. Now that's the purity stream. When, when you come to faith, he breathes on you and you receive the Holy Spirit. That's what happens the moment that you become a believer. You can't be a believer unless the Holy Spirit uh, has, has come into you. Now, a few weeks later, Jesus gathers the disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem. Remember, they've got the Spirit, right? We've just seen that. But a few weeks later, he gathers them together and he says, Remember, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all the ways to the ends of the earth. Now, that's very interesting because they have received the indwelling Spirit to help them become like Christ, but they have not yet received the empowerment or the filling of the Holy Spirit to help them witness. Now, interestingly, whenever Luke, and Luke wrote Acts, whenever he uses the word power in his writings, it almost always refers to the, the preaching of the gospel by Jesus and the signs and wonders that accompany that. Just a couple examples. With authority and power, he commands the unclean spirits and they come out. The power of the Lord was with them to heal. And he called the twelve together and gave them power and authority over all the demons. So Jesus says to these disciples who have the Holy Spirit, he says, I want you to get together and pray that you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what they do, of course, in the upper room. They're praying, and then the Holy Spirit falls on Pentecost, and they are empowered to witness. 
Now, I think what's so interesting about the church here is that the church here sets us up to pray for both. During Lent, it's a wonderful time to pray for the purifying work of the Holy Spirit. During Pentecost is a wonderful time to pray for the power, the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to do ministry. Purity and power, purity and power, purity and power. If you go through the book of Acts, the church is praying again and again for the filling of the Holy Spirit that they might have the power to share the gospel and witness to the just God. So these rhythms need to be in our community too. Not just prayer for purity, as important that is. Prayer for purity and power. Purity and power. We need both. Now, what happens when enough believers start to pray for purity and power? Well, historians call it a revival or an awakening. There's six of them in the book of Chronicles and Kings. And the same pattern is always there. There's a prayer for purity and there's a prayer for power. Chronicles 7.14. If my people humble themselves and pray and seek my face, then I will forgive them and do what? Heal my land. I will bring my blessing, my justice, my peace, not just to your heart, but to the land, to the society, to the community. This is what happens when the people of God start to pray for purity and power. The Spirit comes and begins to actually touch the social systems that surround them. Now, three things always mark a genuine revival. The classic book on this in the 20th century is called Revival by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones. The classic book in English in, 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 ever is by D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, The Distinguishing Marks of a, of a Revival, and several other of his work. I'm rather, Jonathan Edwards. The distinguishing marks of a revival. Three things happen in the great revivals. Three things happen in the great revivals. First, deep and profound repentance over sin. I've just briefly touched on one of these in a college setting once. I've read a lot about them. I've prayed a lot about them. The brief touch that I had was horrifying. There there was an awareness of God's holiness and of our own sin that was just very, very weighty. That's the purity side. That's the purity side. When you start to confess your sin, and that's what we're trying to do during Lent, when you start to confess your sin, when you start to confess the sins of the community that you're a part of, when you start to broaden your definition of sin, it can lead to deep repentance, both of your own personal sin and of the sin of your people, of your community, not just yourself. It's one of the reasons we're going to look at Lamentations during Lent. Uh, Just last night, this is really goofy, but uh, I was trying to cram in some sugar before I started Lent, so I went to Duck Donuts. (laughs) Oh, wow. Oh, boy. 
There's got to be sin in there. It was just delicious. But I knew the line was long, so I had a commentary on the Book of Lamentations, and I was reading the commentary in the Book of Lamentations while I was waiting for my maple-glazed, blueberry-sprinkled duck donut. Yes, 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 which I'm giving up for Lent. And I thought, how odd this is. But there's a point to this. Where was I going with this? I honestly forgot the point. That don't, don't do that. But the point was, when we start to learn how to lament both personally and socially, when we begin to repent, not just over the sins of our heart, as important that is, but that moves into the sins of our society, there is a profound downloading of emotion that can happen. So watch out. If you really start to go there, get ready, as Paul said, for, a, for an adventure. So the first mark of a revival is that purity stream. Repentance, deep repentance over sin. The one I was a part of was with younger people, often these are with younger people, is people just started coming up to a mic and confessing, and it went on all night, and finally I went to bed, and it just kept, it just kept going. Second thing that usually marks a revival are signs and wonders and miracles and you know the gifts of the Spirit, things like that. And that's those verses and acts that we were talking about. And Jonathan Edwards talks a lot about how do you discern the difference between a true work of the Spirit and a false work of the Spirit, right? Because the enemy can counterfeit all these different works of the Spirit. And you know what he says? I've always thought this was so intriguing. He says that one of the ways you know it's a genuine work of the Spirit is because when a person is genuinely touched by the Spirit, they will begin to care for the poor because the devil doesn't. You can't counterfeit that. You can't fake what David Leach is doing tomorrow morning. That's a work of the Spirit. The third mark of a revival, which is when God's people are praying for purity and power and there's deep repentance and the Holy Spirit is poured out and he starts to fill people with the Spirit. The third mark, social reform. This is a fascinating study. Every major social, I'm sure there's an exception, but every major social reform movement is marked by a profound spiritual renewal. Go back and look at the anti-slavery. It was so interwoven with a spiritual revival. First over in England, go see the film Amazing Grace. God's movement, God's spirit is all over this. And then study Charles Finney, the great revivalist upstate New York in the early 19th century. Finney started, or not started, but was a major influence in the abolitionist movement. And whether this is right or wrong, Finney connected his revivals with recruiting people to fight against slavery. (laughs) And he invented the altar call as a way to (laughs) to recruit people for the anti-slavery cause. That was one of his reasons. The other reason was he found it a very effective way to win souls. 
And as soon as they were converted, he'd sign them up. <laughs> now, I'm not suggesting that we do that. You look at the civil rights movement. Spiritual renewal. It's flowing through that movement. If you want to learn more about that, read the book Beloved Community by Charles Marsh. So this is how justice relates to revival. When God's people pray for purity and power, and when they begin to repent deeply of their own sins, and when they begin to repent deeply of the sins that their community has committed, that will lead to an openness to the power of God filling them. And when they begin to cry out for that power, and that power comes and fills the people of God who've been cleansed from their sins, God may send a revival like the ones we read about in the prophets. And they'll be marked by a repentance. They'll be marked by signs and wonders. And it'll be marked by social reform. Let's pray.